Thursday night was a full moon and the beginning of the uh, Vasa starting last night. So today is the first day of our community group retreat. Uh, Jan Sajito is just recently back from uh, Hungary and from Italy. And Ajahn uh, Mehta just back from teaching a retreat in Russia. And Sister Jyoti Panya just back from Italy with Dear Panyo and I'm back about six weeks from the United States, so the clan gathers and settles for three months of uh, Vasa retreat. And then afterwards we scatter again to the four directions, <laughs> ten directions. So this is a time of group practice, and um, we uh, have meditation in the morning and um, uh, together, and and then afternoon practice, and then... Uh, Saturday and Sunday evening, there'll be the talk and guided meditation as usual. So if you're interested in joining in with the meditation and during the days, you're very welcome. The schedule is posted outside. And so it's, uh, you know, we're quiet and silent. There's guidance often given at the um, 8.15 sitting. And you're welcome if by some chance you have an opportunity to come. So um, the last time I gave a talk was about five weeks ago. I had come back from the States and um, I was talking about the theme of anger and uh, one of the correlates of, of, of uh, not anger, but um, just coming into our own confidence. And uh, after that talk, Ajahn Sujito, um was kind enough to offer some comments, which I appreciate. And uh, mentioned a couple things. He asked if I could speak more on two different aspects of the talk. And so uh, the day after that, five weeks ago, I had determined that the next time I would have an occasion, I would speak on that theme. So here we are five weeks later. And and uh, so I thought that I would pick up a little bit where I'd left off and just continue. It's um, not common that I take themes and carry them forward like that, so it might not work. And if it doesn't work, I'm happy for you to let me know. But... If it does work, then it does work. So um, I don't know about you, but for me, anger has not been an easy topic. Um, It's something that catches me out, and I don't have a lot of confidence in working with it. I never have had. And uh, it's taken years of deliberate effort to learn to find something that approximates uh, less dysfunction. I wouldn't quite say health, but less dysfunction. And I have had patterns that alternate between suppressing anger and, and, and interjecting it into my body, in my bones, in my immune system, and exploding. And once every blue moon, there's something else that happens, which is called mindfulness. <laughs> but this process of interjecting it into our systems... Um, and jamming it into our bodies and our bones and our digestive systems and our immune systems and our 
whatever else kind of systems, obviously doesn't have a very good result. And also the process of exploding and dumping it around also doesn't have a very good result. Both are actually quite harmful. And uh, for myself, seeing how actually anger was one of the things that was holding chronic fatigue in place for um, a, nearly a couple of decades, I began to realize, well, actually, getting a handle on some of this stuff actually is to um, my advantage. Though not easy, you know, not not at all easy, but uh, very much to my advantage. And obviously, any time I have exploded and I see the consequences of my actions, I can also see that doesn't have a good result. So learning how to um, maximize the once in the blue moon experience and increase it so that it's slightly more frequent is is a good thing. And and how how does one do this? So mostly what I share tonight is a list of my failures <laughs> rather than a list of my accomplishments. But uh, perhaps even uh, that much is helpful in terms of opening up this topic in a way that is uh, begins to get a sense of how to work with this energy. So, so the interjecting it, the suppressing it, the denying it, the going numb around it comes around the sense of fear of experiencing it. It all comes from that same base. And so in with that kind of uh, relationship with anger, there needs to be the opposite of bringing it into conscious awareness, giving permission to experience it, making some sense of safety around the fact that it's okay as an energy itself to experience. And so that one can begin to get a feeling that it is tolerable and that one is not going to... Um, to uh, So what's the terror? The terror is, is that something really terrible is going to happen if you let this stuff into conscious awareness. Something really big and really bad and really awful is going to happen. And so, you know, for me, I've had to consciously work on bringing it into conscious awareness and and giving permission to feel it because the the mechanisms were in place that repressed it before there was any, an awareness that that's what was happening. And I remember there was once a time when I was... Um, on retreat, and I was in the Swiss Vahara, and anger was bubbling up, and uh, I was te- I was petrified. I was just petrified of, you know, this energy and what I was going to do with it. But it was there was strong, and and I felt that it would be helpful to kind of release a little bit and you know get some of it out of my system. But I was I was just petrified. So I remember going up into the mountains in the Swiss Alps. It was 15 degrees below zero. It was midnight. Nobody was around. I was surrounded by mountains. And I brought my whole puja gear, you know. So I got my candles and my incense and my special sacred everything. And I, I made a whole special little space and, and, and lit the candles and the incense and made this be for the benefit of all beings, you know. So what was this big, terrible thing that I was going to do? I was going to take some rocks and throw them and say some naughty words, you know? I mean, it was like not that terrifying. But for me, it was absolutely terrifying just to allow it into my awareness, feel it in my body, and have any kind of verbal conscious expression of it. So I needed to do something that made me feel like, well, actually, my underlying intention with all of this was to be uh, for the benefit of all. It wasn't actually to harm. 
because I didn't trust myself that actually it wasn't a harm because the energy itself was so scary I didn't have a lot of confidence where I would go with it so alright so I threw the rocks I threw the rocks for many hours <laughs> 15 degrees below zero you can throw rocks for many hours <laughs> and so I said some naughty words and realized that I survived you know I actually survived and in fact it didn't look like anybody got hurt at all you know, I didn't get, you know, thunder, I didn't get lightning, I didn't get wow, ooh, kind of signals coming in my dreams that something bad had happened. Everybody survived. So I began to get a little bit of confidence that there are certain ex- times when actually venting and expressing and releasing anger in safe containers was actually helpful. I felt a little bit more restful, could sleep a little bit better, and I wasn't so agitated trying to hold this energy that was so bottled up. So then one flips from one side, which is repressing it and sticking in one's bones and one's immune system and dumping it and splattering it all over the place. And so then in that kind of a context, one needs to have balance that is in the opposite direction. Rather than permission to express, one needs uh, consideration to contain. And so one needs to be able to hold the energy. And what happens when that energy comes up is it's burning. And there is this intense desire to get rid of it. And oftentimes the desire to get rid of it is to dump. And to dump as fast and as hard and as quick with whoever happens to be around. You know, whether it's the person who's related to it or not doesn't really matter. There's this interest to divest oneself of something which is so intensely uncomfortable. So in that situation, one needs the opposite. One needs to be able to hold back and restrain, to feel and to allow the body the capacity to let this energy move through the fullness of one's body and feel it. And so the way one can shift one's intense desire to divest oneself of this is to stop thinking the thoughts which is allowing the heat to build and switch one's focus of attention onto the body and feel where one feels it and allows the energy to spread. So spread it. Let it go to one's legs and one's arms. Spread it. Take it out of one's neck and one's jaw and one's abdomen and spread it. Okay? As it spreads, when you have something very intense that's in a small area, it has more strength than when it's spread out. When it's spread out, it's more diffused. As it's more diffused, then one can work with it more with breath, with awareness, and it doesn't have that same kind of intense burning need to get rid of it. Yeah. Now, one of the things that's helpful in this is is when we actually contemplate the consequences when we don't do that. When we actually don't manage to do that, sometimes it gives us the strength to bear with the discomfort so that we have more capacity. Now, when I was in the States the last time, Ajahnupeka and I were teaching at a place called Cloud Mountain, and not far away from Cloud Mountain is Mount St. Helens, which is an active volcano. And in the 80s, it, it, it blew. And when, uh, at the end of the retreat, somebody very kindly took us to visit the visitor center there. And we had a look around, and there was a video of this volcano exploding. And it is 
wow, you know, talking about forces of nature unleashed, it's really, uh, it's unimaginable. You know, a thousand feet of the mountain blew off, okay? The thousand feet of the mountain that blew off then cascaded into a lake. The lake, the water of the lake rose 300 feet. And then the earth and the water mixed and they turned into mud. And the mud clogged all of the streams for 40 miles, okay? The heat that blew from the volcano exploding was between 500 and 800 degrees. And that blast zone was 15 miles extending from the mountain. And every single thing in the blast zone was obliterated. There was not a single thing that was left. In an instant, the trees were denuded of foliage and limbs and snapped like toothpicks. And the whole place was absolutely and utterly, completely obliterated of every kind of life that existed. Now, you know, we see these, I mean, I watched the video of this and it's, it's just like, you know, but to me, you know, this is kind of like the ultimate penultimate expression of what happens when this kind of force is unleashed without any sense of containment or restraining. And when I was there watching this video, I saw, well, this actually puts a quite a different meaning to the expression blowing one's top. You know, it adds a little bit more depth to it. So, you know, 30 years later, has it happened? We were there on the anniversary of the, of the, of the explosion. And, you know, they were showing pictures of the landscape. But just 30 years later, only the kind of smallest, minutest things were coming back, you know. So I don't know how many thousands of years the ecosystem had been evolving in that particular area. But in an instant, it was gone, you know, it was gone. And so when you can see that, like on a physical manifestation of what happens when these kind of forces are unleashed, I then had a kind of another kind of uh, understanding of when in scriptures you see statements like an instant of anger can obliterate 10,000 lifetimes of goodness. Okay, it's not a moralistic statement. It's actually a description of the potential damage that can happen when this anger is released in a way where there's no sense of containment for it. So when we look at the blast zone of this volcano and realize the extent of how far it spread and how long it takes for it to repair or come back into some kind of life-giving system, and begin to get a feeling of how this energy works in ourselves. That, or at least for me, is another way of looking at, well, wow, you know, this stuff is powerful stuff, you know. And you don't want to let this stuff out in a way where it's going to be so destructive. Now, we can say these things, but then the, the trick is, is, well, all right, how do you do it? You know, what do you do when this stuff, when you're feeling volcanic, what do you do? You know, how do you manage it? Well, when Mount St. Helens was about to erupt, there was all kinds of signs that were happening. There were 
think, 300 little small earthquakes that they measured the day that it erupted. And, you know, bulges and smoke and lava flows, and there were all kinds of signs. And some people thought, oh, wow, you know, Mount St. Helens is erupting. Let's go watch. You know, that's cool. You know, let's go real close and see. Let's see. Wouldn't that be cool? That's more exciting than watching television, you know. And so people who had any sense of what they were dealing with said, you know, like, get out of here. You know, just get out of here. You know, this is like not something you want to play with. And so they they had the, whoever came, the state police, the federal militia, they came and they evacuated the area. But, you know, how do you evacuate a mountain? You know, you close off roads, but people had gotten too close and some people died, you know. Remarkably few, all things considering. When you've got a volcano that's going to erupt, you evacuate, you know. You don't try and do mantras. <laughs> you know, it's like when you're dealing with powerful forces like that, you just get clear of the zone where the likely fallout is going to be, you know. When you're dealing with something that's more containable, more manageable, we can work with it more within our own practice. And there are times when we can do mantras. There are times when we can do physical work. There's times when we can transmute this energy into something which is constructive. So with all things, we need to know where we are with it and what our capacity is at any particular time because it changes. You know, and how we are when we're feeling resource and rested and centered and grounded in ourselves is going to be completely different than when we're not, you know. And so our skill level and our capacity and our responsiveness needs to be equal to what's actually happening, rather than some kind of an idea of how it should be. The uh, scriptures say that in... in uh, in subduing uh, hatred towards an individual, there are five things that one can cultivate. The first is uh, developing goodwill. Um, the second is developing compassion. The third is equanimity. The fourth is not paying any attention. And the fifth is to contemplate the nature of karma and cause and effect. So when there's um, ill will towards an individual, when we substitute ill will toward, with goodwill, when we, when we actually begin to focus on the positive aspects of the person who's eliciting uh, or um, such difficulties, then the fire is not fed, it's diminished. When we develop compassion by beginning to touch the pain from which must be originating this person's uh, pain that is giving rise to these kinds of behaviors, uh, it's often much easier to stay present when we are connecting to the pain underneath a person's actions than when we are receiving the full impact of the actions themselves. Developing equanimity is the capacity to see things evenly, to receive things evenly, to not have preferences for things to be a particular way. Now, um, 
this one is not easy for me. I don't know about you, but this one is really not easy for me. My personality does not thrive around equanimity. (laughs) And so I find this um, is, I get glimpses of this. Um, I can see this when there's tremendous clarity and presence, but equanimity is not my strongest virtue. But one can see that, you know, in terms of spiritual development, it doesn't take a lot of spiritual genius to love people that we love and to dislike people we dislike. You know, most every human being and every animal in the world is capable of doing the same thing, you know. That doesn't take a lot of intelligence or spiritual maturity. But to have some degree of dispassion towards the people that we are intensely um, fond of, and to have some capacity for touching the goodness in a person that we find immensely irritating does take uh, bringing forward qualities that are not easy to access most of the time. Not paying attention is just to bring one's attention to something other than that which is irritating. And so we always have that capacity, though we always seem to manage to forget it. So if something which is happening which is um, exciting anger, we can change our focus to where we're experiencing that. So, for example, if we're hearing something or we're seeing something that's winding us up, we can bring our attention to our breath or we can look at the trees or we can uh, feel our feet touching the ground. Uh, We can bring our attention to something else that's happening, which is neutral or pleasant or calming. And the fifth one is contemplating uh, kama, which is that with intention, um, there is result. And independent of what we like or what we say or what we do, with intention, there is result. And each person who does something is the owner of their uh, results. Yeah. Now, um, the monastic community is in the middle of, or we will begin studying the Vinaya discipline, monastic discipline, and our monastic discipline and our rules, most of them, almost all of them, are built around the principle that intention is the fundamental key that determines the like severity and the and often the consequences of transgressing against some of our discipline. So having a clear intention to do something has a, has a big effect in the way it's held in our monastic discipline. But one of the things that's interesting is, is, is that, you know, when I was talking earlier about, like, you know, for my own self, the experience of anger would be suppressed from conscious awareness so that I wasn't actually aware of it until it was bubbling out of me. I wasn't often aware that I was angry until it was just leaking all over the place or dumping all over the place. There's a difference between um, intention in terms of our monastic rules and cause and effect in terms of consequences. So whether or not I have a clear intention to be expressing something with anger, the act of expressing something has a result, yeah? And the more something is unconscious and we are unaware of it, oftentimes the more destructive it is. And so the irony is is, is that 
the more we're able to bring things into conscious awareness, then the less destructive they are, the more capacity we are then able to act with clear intention in what's happening. Not mentioned in this list, but in another list I read somewhere that another something which is also can be helpful in cutting through anger is the contemplation of death. So if um, there's a kind of grudge or a difficulty or somebody's behavior is irritating and um, it's difficult to get through it or see past it or the kind of magic wands that one has are not working, If one recognizes that none of us know when the end of our life is going to be, none of us do, and that when we superimpose that reality on top of that feeling, what happens to that feeling? You know, sometimes the contemplation of death can just cut right through the irritations and grudges and the things that we have. But sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes it doesn't cut through because actually what's underneath all of the anger is something very uh, deep, deeply meaningful, and something that needs uh, accepting and acknowledging. And so if we're trying to get rid of something that actually needs accepting, then it's not going to work. And I remember something had happened in the community and I was angry about it for years. I mean, not one or two, but like eight. And I realized, all right, you know, I did my magic wand business and I did my contemplations of death business and I did my meta business and I did my all my businesses. And year after year after year after year, I was still furious about this thing that had happened. And then I realized that wasn't the problem. The problem was is that what had happened in the community was triggering something else that I had never resolved. And because I had never resolved this other hurt that was manifesting as anger, then it was constantly being remembered by this other experience which had similar tones and qualities to it, but in fact wasn't the real problem. So it took an investigation to get underneath what was going on, that after so many years this thing was not releasing, to realize that it wasn't the problem. There was something else that actually was much more painful and difficult to accept that was underneath it all. And that was humbling. You know, it's humbling doing this work. So for myself, you know, this journey took me to Australia and part of my explorations took me into the bush and I felt very much at home and comfortable in the bush. And having a ground of safety allowed me to experience places where I didn't feel safe. So it's difficult to explore a lack of safety when you don't have ground. And because this whole area of anger for me was so deeply bound up with fear, unless I had a ground to explore it from, I had no capacity to actually investigate. 
what was going on. And so for me, I could see that anger and fear were layered, some kind of geological stratification. And underneath the whole fossil was like a kind of cesspit of self-hatred. And none of that was something that I had any access to because I had this bright face and appeared competent and capable and good and and put on a show that was convincing to lots of people, including myself, that I didn't realize that what was actually underneath this whole fossil of anger and fear and anger and fear was a deep sense of lack of self-love. And that was also very humbling to see, to excavate, to touch that, to bring that into the air of awareness, into the heart, to feel and to know and to allow it to find its own place of resting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.